Pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Benzodiazepines are classified as sedative hypnotic medications. Good examples of the benzodiazepines are clonopin, Xanax, and Valium. Sedative hypnotics rank among the most widely used prescription drugs in the United States, producing a calming effect, drowsiness, and facilitating sleep. They're also used to reduce anxiety before procedures or surgery, during surgery, or in patients with an anxiety disorder. Benzodiazepines inhibit the central nervous system, similar to alcohol and barbiturates. As a pain medicine, they aren't particularly effective, though, and combined with other sedating drugs like opioids or alcohol can be fatal. When we use a benzodiazepine for more than a month, physical dependence typically develops. This isn't addiction, though. The body adapts to the regular or chronic use of the medicine, and withdrawal symptoms occur if the drug is stopped abruptly or even tapered. Less well-known is that patients who stop using benzodiazepines may not go through a simple, acute withdrawal process. Instead, 10 to 15% of patients may experience a new, unexplained illness, leading to severe and disabling symptoms that can last several years and maybe indefinitely. It's been called a protracted withdrawal syndrome, and more recently, the benzodiazepine injury syndrome. On today's show, We'll hear once again from Carrie Silvernail, our first guest. Her five-and-a-half-year battle from benzodiazepine withdrawal forced her into retirement, produced migrating body pain, and led to intense phonophobia, among a host of other symptoms. Then a leading specialist in the field, Dr. Stephen Wright, uncovers the details of this hidden syndrome while recommending measures for prevention and treatment. Aches and Gains is supported by Horizon Therapeutics, Daiichi Sankyo, Boston Scientific, and the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices. Carrie Silvernail is a retired nurse and benzodiazepine survivor. She'll continue to take us through her five-and-a-half-year journey of benzodiazepine withdrawal. What did she experience, and how is she doing today? Let's find out. Carrie, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Last time, you said you began experiencing the onset of some startling new symptoms that you had never experienced before after taking both Xanax and Valium. It took a year and a half to completely stop each of these benzodiazepines. I'd like to explore more in depth some of the symptoms that you experienced. Let's first talk about the insomnia. Yes, the insomnia all during the taper was grueling. Mm. There were many nights that I got as little as an hour or two of sleep, and this persisted for a few years. Symptoms would be very 
uncomfortable. And then just the fact that I couldn't sleep and get a break from this right, right. was so difficult. But sleep, thankfully, was something that came back for me uh, maybe a year and a half or two years after I stopped all of the medications. Mm-hmm. Now I, I have interrupted sleep. I don't know how I got through that period, but I I did. I don't know either, and I'm certainly glad you did. Carrie, what was the total length of time for the taper? Just a little over three years, 38 months. Wow. And I used a variety of taper methods from um, cutting the tablets then to making a solution and wasting some of it and taking divided doses throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And then that was for the Xanax. And then for the Valium, my pharmacist helped by compounding a cream for me that I could very slowly decrease. And Carrie, did you do this by yourself? I mean, was it self-directed? That's what's found to be the most effective way of tapering a benzodiazepine is patient-led tapering, Mm -hmm. meaning we cut when we feel we can tolerate another cut. Mm -hmm. You cut and you bear the consequences. (laughs) and then you get courageous enough to make another cut. And it is quite uncomfortable. And I did a very, very slow taper, and I still had these dramatic responses to nearly each cut. That's unbelievable. What happened to your original pelvic pain and low back pain during these cuts that you were making, during the withdrawal period? Yeah, over those 38 months? Mm -hmm. Well, very much... Like other symptoms with benzodiazepine injury syndrome, is the, and and while tapering, you have waxing and waning of symptoms. It's not like you are always in a constant state of um, high symptomology. Some days you feel a little better than other days. Mm-hmm. But what happened to that pelvic pain and back pain was that I, I, it followed that pattern. I had some days that I felt better and other days that I felt worse. When did you begin experiencing these new symptoms? I started having some of these new symptoms right away. Did they all occur at the same time? One may pop up and then it may go away. Mm-hmm. And then you think, oh, good, that I'm done with that. <laughs> right. And then, oh, here's three more new ones. Oh. There are so many different symptoms that you can be hit with. Dr. Ashton has documented over 100 different symptoms that people can have while coming off of and healing from benzodiazepine. Now, speaking of symptoms, the hypersensitivity to sound, to touch, to smell can be intense. How intense was it for you? We eat with plastic silverware because the sound of metal on China is too uncomfortable for me. I don't drive in certain weather anymore because it feels like it's too hard for my body to process driving with windshield wipers or driving in uh, at dawn or dusk. I can't do that. Hmm. We went from being very, very active couple who traveled a lot and um, did a lot of outdoor activity to pretty well housebound for a number of years because of this. I'm really sorry to hear that, and I hope these symptoms get better. What about any balance problems or problems with thinking, cognitive problems? I had a very strong yoga practice going into this, and doing simple yoga poses became very, very difficult for me because I could not stand on one foot or even sometimes two feet. I (laughs) feel almost as if I had to learn to read again. It was very difficult for me to follow any kind of train of thought or read full paragraphs. 
just just speaking in full sentences, it was difficult for me. Uh, following a recipe, I had difficulty cooking. I had trouble with sequential thinking for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Many of these symptoms we've talked about today are much better than they were at the beginning of this journey, but I still have residual effects. Well, I'm glad that most of them are better. What did your family and friends think was going on with you? My family was very supportive. I have a very devoted husband. He was with me every step of the way, Hmm. and my children were very supportive. I have a few friends that really stood by my side, but people don't know how to help or support you. No, it's pretty misunderstood. Carrie, given the intensity of these symptoms and how disruptive they were to your life, Did you ever consider suicide? That was the most frightening of symptoms to me. Uh, Several times I had to ask my husband to please not leave because I was afraid of what I might do if I was alone. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, did you ever feel like this new illness would kill you? Yes. Yes, I did. You feel like you were going to die. You are so far from the person that you were. And there isn't one piece of you that isn't affected. You know, Carrie, it seems like these protracted withdrawal symptoms that we've been talking about overlap with other illnesses like chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, for instance. Did you feel like you were developing any one of these illnesses? Yes, I had myself convinced many times that I had a neurological disease or I had cardiac disease. And often it's best to go in and get this checked out. It is because it can also overlap with Lyme disease or even multiple sclerosis. What kind of treatments did you use for this withdrawal injury syndrome? I had a psychologist and together she and I did some cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR and other supportive therapies. Had an acupuncturist and a physical therapist a massage therapist. Wow, I mean, you had quite the supportive team to help get you through it. Which of these therapies helped you the most? My um, psychologist was the most supportive. And then when I found a new MD who believed that benzodiazepines can cause this kind of syndrome, Mm -hmm. he helped support me through my taper. Good to hear. Carrie, how are you today, five and a half years later? (laughs) Well, much better. Mm -hmm. I'm quite functional now, but I still have days that are very, very difficult. The symptoms that remain that are the strongest are pain symptoms. I have a lot of peripheral pain, um, leg pain, foot pain, tingling, still numbness, fatigue on some days. Mm-hmm. A depression has been a piece of this for me too, a very strong piece of this. But cognitively, I think I'm almost back. Good. How about that sense of depersonalization? Some days, yes. You have windows and waves. In a window, some people even feel completely well and have no symptoms at all. Mm-hmm. And a wave is when you have an increase of symptoms. But I do have days that I feel better. And I have days that I may not go far from the better couch. Mm -hmm. I've seen great progress in the last five and a half years, and I am hopeful that I will continue to heal. Me too. Carrie, do you feel that physicians and other healthcare providers are prescribing benzodiazepines longer than they should? Without a doubt. That has been some of the work that we have done with the Alliance 
for benzodiazepine best practices Mm -hmm. is to help educate physicians to prescribe for shorter periods of time. About how short? Two to four weeks. Yeah, and that's a very short period of time. What would you suggest to others who are thinking about using a benzodiazepine for any condition? Seeing how it altered my life, I would counsel people to look at other means of treating their pain or their anxiety or panic Mm -hmm. and leave benzodiazepines as a last resort. I completely agree. And Carrie, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your story of triumph. Dr. Christo, thank you very much for having me. After the break, benzodiazepine expert Dr. Stephen Wright joins us once again. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Horizon Therapeutics, who believes that science and compassion must work together to transform lives for people living with rare and rheumatic diseases. Discover more about Horizon's mission at horizontherapeutics.com. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Stephen Wright pain and addiction medicine specialist, as well as a leading expert in the benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome. Dr. Wright, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Last time, we talked about how benzodiazepines work in the body, typical symptoms of acute withdrawal, and then launched into the symptoms of this protracted withdrawal syndrome, also known as the benzodiazepine injury syndrome. It seems like all evidence suggests that this withdrawal process really triggers a separate chronic illness. It seems like it's a a chronic illness in and of itself. And that's why I use the term injury, uh, because it appears that uh, something fundamental has changed in terms of the neurophysiology that is somewhat self-sustaining or is self-sustaining over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. For these individuals uh, who have completely stopped benzodiazepines, why would we see these related symptoms in an ongoing fashion uh, if there weren't, uh, you know, a, a fundamental injury process that has taken place? And what's the key to recognizing it? The key is, of course, uh, that the symptoms occur typically with individuals that are tapering the medications or uh, coming off rapidly or even slowly. Mm -hmm. And the symptoms involve psychological as well as neurophysiologic symptoms. If you see a symptom array that involves waves and windows, that's suggestive. If you see a symptom array that includes not only psychological features like uh, increased anxiety, but also increase intensity of hearing or increase intensity of touch, increase intensity of uh, sound or smell, that is likely related to benzodiazepine discontinuation process. And it seems like these symptoms occur regardless of the dose. We see that individuals can have this array of symptoms even if they're on low-dose, therapeutic dose. That's a major issue for individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Individuals that have been on just as prescribed can have uh, this symptom array. These individuals, uh, when they come to recognize this, are very angry with their previous prescribers. They're often angry with their current uh, prescribers as they perceive these individuals as really unknowing about what is going on with them 
physiologically. Right. I mean, I can understand that. Steve, how long does this injury syndrome typically last? I mean, I've read two years and some reports of even up to 10 years. Individuals that were successful at discontinuation, uh, it took them about an average of 14 months to be able to become symptom-free after they completely stopped the medication. Mm -hmm. A smaller subset of individuals that had persistent symptoms, as I mentioned, for years afterwards. And I get a sense uh, in speaking with individuals that there's sort of an inflection point at about two years and then three to four years where people tend to get better for unknown reasons, uh, sometimes suddenly better. Some kind of repair must have taken place, but we can't predict that necessarily for all individuals that are experiencing withdrawal symptoms. No, but either way, I mean, two years, four years, or even more is a long time to experience withdrawal symptoms or, or new symptoms, which is what we're talking about here. Are, are the symptoms the same during this protracted withdrawal period, or do they change? In other words, do patients say they have hand tremors for six months, and then they develop flu-like symptoms for eight months? That's right. And so that becomes real confusing to the clinician who is looking at this saying, oh, it's a new medical condition that's unrelated to benzodiazepine. Mm-hmm. But we certainly see a number of individuals who have new pain conditions after exposure to benzodiazepines, after discontinuation. But we see and hear enough of that that it is suggestive that it is connected to benzodiazepines and not new medical conditions. New medical conditions, of course, should be considered. Uh, It's always possible. It is always possible. And our previous guest, Carrie, did mention that she had quite an extensive workup for these new onset symptoms that she experienced after the benzodiazepine taper and withdrawals. We're up for a break. When we come back, we'll find out who's more at risk, men or women. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices, which leads in determining, providing, and supporting evidence-based prescribing and deprescribing of benzodiazepines to significantly reduce their adverse outcomes. An educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Welcome back. Dr. Wright, does this injury syndrome affect men and women equally? It appears to affect women more more often than men. Of course, that's unclear as to exactly why. Now, women also get more prescriptions for benzodiazepines than men do. That's right. And unfortunately, women suffer from chronic pain conditions more than men do and really don't understand why. Steve, who's at risk for this chronic injury syndrome? I mean, is it anybody using benzodiazepines or using them for more than a month or using certain benzodiazepines? We have not defined the individuals that are clearly at risk very, very well. Okay. And once recognized, how is this syndrome best treated? So informed consent, educating the patient, and uh, use of the Ashton Manual. I think that this is a valuable resource uh, for patients as well as prescribers, very readable for patients as well. Mm-hmm. So I think tapering really is the way to go. Yeah. Abrupt discontinuation threatens the life of uh, some of these individuals that can have uh, seizures, intractable seizures, uh, even suicides. Uh, so death that uh, can occur as a result of abrupt discontinuations. Do I continue with the same benzodiazepine the patient's been taking all the time, or do I switch to another agent? And those include diazepam, clonazepam, phenobarbital, 
And that avoids the interdose withdrawal, which means that as I am approaching the next dose that's due, I might have withdrawal-like symptoms because the blood level is low and therefore the level in the brain is low and I'm starting to have withdrawal. Right. And I think you also recommend a less than 5% reduction in the benzodiazepine dose based on the patient's response. Steve, you write about using cognitive behavioral therapy before the tapering starts. Why? Cognitive behavioral therapy is very useful to help uh, temper adverse responses to the difficulties that might show up during the tapering process. Mm -hmm. And if I haven't started it before the tapering, after the tapering uh, initiate, I think it's uh, indicated as well. Okay. Now, how do you actually manage the taper? Yeah, it, it really is the patient saying, yeah, I am okay functionally and symptomatically so that we can take the next step. And it really has to do with the intensity of the symptoms and are they intrusive uh, in a patient's life. And it's not unusual for 12 to 18 months. Uh, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Good point. Do you use any other medications or strategies to reduce the effects of the withdrawal syndrome? One of the most interesting agents out there, by the way, is flumazenil. Flumazenil is an antagonist. And so, for example, in an overdose circumstance, flumazenil can reverse the effects of an overdose on benzodiazepines. Mm -hmm. However, what we now understand about flumazenil is that it is a very weak partial agonist because it has a very weak effect uh, with regards to a benzodiazepine-like effect. Okay. And it seems like studies that are out there that it can benefit individuals that are having difficulty with the tapering process, individuals that have already stopped and have continued symptoms, the flumazenil can be helpful. It's almost like it reboots the receptor to a more normal level of responsiveness. Fascinating. Yes, great information. It seems like the overall message then is to try to taper the benzodiazepine at four weeks regardless of the condition. And equally important is that there's very little to no evidence for using them more than a month. That's right. Try not to use them more than a month because it's that longer exposure, we believe, that creates a circumstance of uh, physiologic dependence and the significant withdrawal responses that we see. Yes, and remember that these medications can be used first line for conditions like status epilepticus, which is a, an uncontrolled seizure, alcohol withdrawal, to reduce procedural anxiety, and for crisis anxiety management, as well as burning mouth syndrome and stiff person syndrome. Dr. Wright, once a person has completely stopped a benzodiazepine, should they avoid it forever? I, I think, generally speaking, that's true because you can actually repeat what's going on. And we hear stories very often about individuals that have reinstated benzodiazepine use and have significant problems. And do you feel that the FDA should better describe the risk of this protracted withdrawal syndrome on the drug label? I do, and indeed they are going to. And now in September of 2020, they indicated they are mandating labeling with regards to increased concerns from the perspective of benzodiazepines causing physiologic dependence and addiction. Mm -hmm. And that's now starting to uh, show up in the labels, although not all the benzodiazepines in the class have been labeled that way yet. We're starting to see that show up. 
we do think that other labeling th- uh, changes ought to be considered, such as warning that really these agents should be used for a two to four week period of time, uh, most all of the time, and, and not longer. Well, that's good news. And finally, if patients or clinicians need help tapering benzodiazepines, where can they go? For the patients, uh, there are a lot of online communities, and they provide information. Now, they're not going to give medical advice. They will get uh, referred to their prescriber to get that kind of information. Mm-hmm. The Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices is the only site that I'm aware of that is specifically there to assist prescribers towards uh, better practices with regards to prescribing and de-prescribing benzodiazepines and the basic principles that are involved with both of those. Terrific information. And here's the website, benzoreform.org. Dr. Wright, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Ty Ford. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.